Welcome to Screenfish Radio. Welcome to the conversation. We're so glad that you could join us today as we are talking about the Iron Claw. And this week, I have a couple of real heavyweight guests for us today. Um, come, is coming to the ring first. You might not be able to see him, but you can smell what he's cooking. Dave Voigt from In the Seats. Welcome, Dave. <laughs> that was the worst intro ever, but thank you for having me, man. Oh, it's going to get worse. And in this corner, he has a cult of personality, but he is everyone's American nightmare. Prab Jot Baines. Welcome, Prab. <laughs> yes, let's go. Yeah. I love that intro, by the way. I'm not that cynical. I love it. You see, there you go. Um, I'm really excited to talk about uh, The Iron Claw by Sean Durkin this, uh, this week. But uh, before we do that, I feel that we should tap into a little bit of, of this week's Oscar noms. Um, and I would love to hear from you both how you felt about this year's crop. Um, were there any films that you felt got, got ripped off, duly feted, if you will? Nice surprises. What what caught your attention? The big discourse coming out of the the uh, the Oscars is the lack of of nominations for Greta Gerwig, uh, Margot Robbie, all of that. Um, I myself am not big on the film, um, but uh, you know I I mean besides looking at that part, I I I'm pretty satisfied with the nominees. I'm pretty shocked. Like uh, cases like Charles Melton was totally ignored from the Academy. Uh, and the big, a big surprise for me actually was, I was surprised Willem Dafoe didn't get in for for poor things. I actually, I mean, I thought because throughout the whole award season, I mean, it was him and Ruffalo were both getting recognized, and now when it came down to the Oscars, uh, you had Willem Dafoe kind of go by the wayside. So that was one of the big surprises. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess the acting nominations that was the big thing. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we had one Greta Gerwig not getting nominated, and the other Greta Lee. For past lives, that was one thing I, I, I was kind of disappointed by that she wasn't nominated. Uh, yeah, so I'm generally satisfied, but yeah, of course, like every year, there's some glaring omissions, right? Every year, it is somewhat of a bloodbath. Um, it Oscar nomination day exists so that we can complain. Uh, really. Exactly, that's, that's what yeah. it. Is. And, yeah, and, and and a lot of it doesn't really make sense to me because I, I was looking at a lot of tweets, a lot of discourse, and, and talking about how it's so shocking that Barbie is a movie that only you know Ryan Gosling got nominated for. But I mean, are they forgetting that America uh, Ferrera was nominated? Like, I guess only if the white woman doesn't get nominated, then they're kind of disappointed. But like, I just don't understand. Like, like it, it just it's it's confusing that like well a woman did get nominated, right? So I, I, that's. And no one's really bringing that up at all. And it's just all the conversations around Gerwig and, 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 and Robbie. And I think, well, I mean, I mean, let's not forget. I mean, they deserve to be recognized, but I mean, a woman did get in, right? And that's a big, nice surprise at that with uh, Ferreira. So I thought that was really interesting. I was struck by uh, a line today from the fantastic Whoopi Goldberg, which puts it all in perspective. We have to stop thinking about the quote unquote snubs. Mm -hmm. Not everybody gets to win, boys and girls. Period. It doesn't. It doesn't make the work any less good. Mm -hmm. But not everybody gets to win, and the discourse around the snubs and deserve and all that is really kind of ridiculous. It is. It is 
funny how overblown it can get. And I think the the, the Barbie discourse. I mean, I, I the funny thing is, I actually understand more for Gerwig than I do for Robbie. And I think Robbie was wonderful in the film. But I'm looking at that category, and it's like they're all incredible. They're all incredible in their films. Uh, you know, Carrie Mulligan, Sandra Hewler. Hewler. Hewler yeah. Uh, Emma Stone, Lily Gladstone, and Annette Benning are all incredible collections. Um, yeah, I was kind of surprised by the Nyad. The Nyad, uh, both the, the performances from Nyad were nominated. Uh, I didn't really see a lot of steam going in, and I think that's where a lot of the, the flack I feel coming from. Like when Nyad came in and took a took a spot from someone people thought was more deserving. And and you're right, David. I mean, the Oscars really it's it's never been really a meritocracy. It's about who can campaign campaign the best and I think that's one of the big reasons why the movie we're going to talk about today Iron Claw didn't really get into uh get into the purview of of Academy voters for sure and even just to reference back to what you said about Nyad I mean I remember watching that during the festival and going yeah this is an Oscar movie this is designed (laughs) as an Oscar movie and it, it was wild I mean, it's a good movie. Is it, a, is, it, is it a great movie? No, but it's a very good movie. And it's just one of those things where it's like, why are people surprised that this got nominated? I mean, this was designed to do that. And I mean, in, in all the hubbub and all the talk of the snubs and this, that, or the other, I mean, it does get a little glossed over as well that, you know, uh, Jodie Foster, who is openly LGBTQ, is playing an LGBTQ character, and I mean that's that's probably one of the first times somebody has been nominated for actually doing that, and I think that's a good thing too. Is it the first time that's happened? I think it's got to be one of the first. I mean, I'd have to look it up, but it's it's got to be up there. I remember seeing something the other day. It was like Jodie and and somebody else. Oh, Coleman Domingo. Uh, yeah, Jodie and Coleman Domingo. I think this is the first time that actors who are openly LGBTQ playing LGBTQ characters have been nominated for their performances. Wow. See, that's incredible. That's inc- like, there are good things to be discussing about the, the Oscar noms. Like, do I wish Gerwig had gotten nominated? Yes, absolutely. Um, were there some that surprised me? Sure. But there's lots of things to, to, to be excited about. I yeah. Think- yeah. Like, like you're saying, like, it's not like, you know, one person gets left by the wayside, another person gets in, right? And that's not to say a woman did get in for director. I mean, Justine Triette, she got in, right? That's a big, um, I'm pretty sure she got nominated for director, right? Yeah, she did. Right? Yeah, she did. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so she got in, like, that's that's a big, big one there. I just think people are really upset that kind of the phenomenon that was Barbenheimer, they wanted, you know, they wanted to, ha- you know, eat their cake, right? And, and uh you know, it didn't it didn't come to fruition but there's a lot to like here and and i i think i'm really spoiled because rarely when i when i see the oscars coming out rarely some of my favorite films are, are recognized and I, i've just come to the fact that like i don't really my favorite movies are never really gonna do well at the oscar but this year all my top five uh movies that i i love the most were nominated and my favorite movie of the year poor things was was uh was recognized heavily which which i which I really enjoyed. Yeah. And the Academy is embracing the weird. Yeah. Like poor, you know, poor things would have three, four nominations. It's got way more than that. It did exceptionally well. I mean, even a, even a category like animated feature film, you know, I love the fact that the room basically groaned when they said elemental 
alongside the other four nominees because it made me laugh to just sort of in, like enjoy the reality that especially when it comes to animated feature films sort of the reign of disney is likely going to be over this year i defend elemental i i actually really enjoy elemental but i know it it was not as well received certainly but i i you know i, I think you're absolutely right like you're absolutely right i mean there there there's some some picks this year that would not have been picks in years past and it's i think you know it's funny like i think the outcry over someone like gerwig and you know you mentioned prob about uh justine triette most people just haven't seen that see barbie mm -hmm. was a phenomenon it, it wasn't just about the barbenheimer thing i mean it is but but she really did do the impossible like she took a a property that shouldn't have been able to do what they did and made it into something truly special. Um, so in that sense, I think she's beyond there. Um, but, um, well, and most people just haven't seen Anatomy of a Fall. Probably when I, I was listening to the radio afterwards and they said, I've, uh, you know, one of the people I heard said, I've seen two of those movies. <laughs> you know, when they listed the the best pictures. And it's so I think it's what people connect to that makes them upset. Like, why didn't the thing I like? Mm -hmm. get... Right, and I and I'm guilty of that too. I just rest, said that right now that I'm happy. Poor things, my her movie got nominated. Right, like I, I'm I'm a victim of that as well. Um, but yeah, I think um, yeah, and everything when it comes down to the Oscars, we always like David saying we focus on what missed Oops. out rather than what's actually getting. Uh, recognize and I'm guilty of that every year I think going back a few years I think the biggest one for me was Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems I, I was I was livid uh when that when that didn't happen but you know and it kind of it, it affects how you view the academy but I mean I think this year is, is really diverse in terms of the genre and the type of film you do have some of those like classic Oscar type movies in there uh you know like Dave said made for the Oscars but I think there's a lot of weirdness uh oddity that's there that that's people don't really expect from the oscar that's there so it's a good mix this year i i overall i'm pretty i'm pretty happy the direction academy's taking and can we please shine a light on the reality that a canadian produced documentary film from the nfb made the top five and is nominated mm -hmm. for an oscar for best documentary feature film and to kill a tiger like honestly of all these announcements that's the one that made me the happiest yep I, I absolutely that's that's exciting uh godzilla minus one come yeah. on godzilla minus one did uh, you see the the video of the the vx vfx team when they found out that they got nominated they're like shooting confetti all over the place and and, and everything like it was awesome they're watching it live in japan it was really awesome to see what that film did with 13 million dollars is truly unbelievable mm-hmm like, and talking about talking about something that made me laugh a lot about the academy i remember uh, earlier this year there, there that big kerfuffle over france choosing taste of things over uh, anatomy of a fall uh and the reasons are up in the air obviously you know triette um the movies obviously anatomy of fall wasn't chosen for Fr uh, france's pick uh, half the movies in english uh triette's also vocal about her uh, opposition to Macron, all of that. We can argue why it wasn't chosen, um, but they gambled on Taste of Things. 
nothing. It didn't pan out for them at all. Taste of Things was not selected as one of the international features. And so I think France is really regretting that decision now. But but um, what it also just sheds a light on is why why does the Academy still fixate on one submission per country, right? Like in this case, France had some really, uh, really good movies uh, come out of it. And nope, one gets to one gets to play. And, and even Japan this year, you had Boy in the Heron, Godzilla minus one, Perfect Days, right? But only one of them gets to shine in that category, right? So um, I think it's time to review that, that as well, right? Because, you know, countries aren't a monolith, right? They have a lot of different stories to tell. And I, I, I feel like, you know, we should open it up instead of just having one submission. And again, I guess that kind of plays into the whole politics that the Academy is, right? Whoever campaigns the hardest, you know, governing bodies choose to be the film, that kind of plays into it. So I think that's what kind of sours people against the Academy. But yeah, I think that's something to think about as well, for sure. Really what it comes down to at the end of the day is, I mean, at least for me personally, and I mean, I know this will never happen, but I really wish people would treat the nomination as the award mm. as opposed to whoever gets the trophy. Because, I mean, like we've been saying, this has been an exceptionally good year for cinema, like not only domestically, but internationally as well. And there's so much good stuff out there. It's like, let's stop focusing on the, oh my God, this got snubbed or this didn't happen or why didn't we get to see this or that or blah, 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 blah. Let's just focus on the amount of good that we actually have. Because, I mean, in reality, this has been one of the better years for, for film in general in recent memory. The film we're going to talk about now, I mean, in other years, it, it may have been an Oscar nominee. Mm -hmm. But now, for most of us, who and those of us who, you know, who see everything, it's barely making our top ten, but it's still an exceptional piece of film. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, I, we really got spoiled this year, and that's why we're all complaining. When he gets spoiled, the hand feeds you. That's why you start complaining. You're right. I'm going to say one more complaint. I think we can all agree that after the Barbie snubs, the one, the, the greatest snub was Jack Black Peaches from the Super Mario Brothers movie. I, I wanted to see him dressed as Bowser on the Oscar stage uh, very much. The Academy blew it. Uh, but my kids would have stayed up to watch the Oscars if that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're you're both absolutely right. Like Robot Dreams, Robot Dreams is a fantastic animated film. I loved Robot Dreams. It, this is a weird one to acknowledge in some ways, but I think these the two nominations are the first ones ever for a Mission Impossible franchise. Um, that's fantastic. Like that yeah. franchise, how has that franchise not been nominated for best visual effects over the years? I don't know. Because Tom Cruise is the visual effect. He is That's why. <laughs> it may be some post Top Gun hangover uh, that they got nominated, but it, you know what? Like it's the franchise. The franchise has earned some recognition for what it's done. I think this is. I appreciate what you said there, Dave, because absolutely, the nomination is the award. Um, mm -hmm. Nice to get it up to the top of the mountain. Um, but it, you know, certainly with, with such a great crop of films this year, uh, I think any that's why, I mean, that's why the Globes added that sort of box office award. I mean, and even something else we can even call a snub. It's like, there's no John Wick anywhere. Yeah. But we did get John Williams for the million. Yes. Time. Yes. I'm okay <laughs> with that. I'm so, we, the guy's we got one, John. 
Okay, we did it. Right. Honestly, like I was thrilled for that, and I because I'm like the dude's 91. Just he and he did a great job with that soundtrack and and how he layered it and everything. Anyway, um, but anyway, I I agree, I agree. And as we're talking about this, like you're right, there are so many films that could have been nominated that weren't. Um, and let let's transition out of this because. You know what? And this is one of them. Uh, this is absolutely one of them. We're tipping our hat early here. But uh, Iron Claw. Let's talk about Iron Claw. The Iron Claw tells the true story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers who made history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s. Through tragedy and triumph under the shadow of their domineering father and coach, the brothers seek larger-than-life immortality on the biggest stage in sports entertainment. As always, this podcast is rated S for spoilers. Um, once we step into the ring, the gloves are off, so to speak. But I would love to hear from you both. What did you think of Iron Claw? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I, this is one of those films that it, like in 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 other rest movies about quote-unquote, pro wrestling, I've never felt that it actually gave the sport the reverence that it deserves. And, I mean, in seeing the way they shot it and the training that Zach and Harris and all those guys went through, you know, Chavo Guerrero, uh, getting them ready to to do matches. And, I mean, and even Sean Durkin was saying, it's like, he shot them doing matches over and over again and i mean they put in the work and they developed an understanding of of the beauty but also the brutality of the sport because on one end i mean obviously we can all get wrapped up and then cheer for it and all that but it is such a physically demanding sport. i mean especially sort of back in the day with the Von eric's it was one of those things where you had to live the gimmick. You had to do it 24-7, 365. And these guys, I mean, to borrow uh, uh, some wrestling parlance, like they basically worked themselves into a shoot. As much as they knew it wasn't real, it was still real to them. You know, it's interesting you say that too, uh, Dave, because I remember hearing Ted DiBiase say once in the 19, uh, that when he became the million-dollar man, um, all these guys were making peanuts and Vince came up to him. Vince McMahon came up to him and said, you're the million dollar man. He goes, yeah. He goes, but now you're going to be the million dollar man. What do you mean? He goes, you're going to stay in the best hotels. You're going to dress the best. You're other, you will be the envy of the other people because I want you to live the gimmick that you're living. And, it, and, and he did, he did everywhere he went, he got treatment above and beyond uh, the other members of the team because they wanted that gimmick to feel real. It was, it's interesting, you know, that you bring that up. Cause he said he did, he did talk about that back, back in the days. Um, I, mean, I, love, I love how Sean shot sort of the arena, the sportatorium. He made it feel like it was a church. Like these guys were performing basically in their own version of a church. Like this was pro wrestling as religion and i mean especially back then in places like texas and where they toured and all that 
especially some of these small towns that they would hit. This was the equivalent of high school for college football. It was religion. It was gospel. It's just what you did. And these guys all threw themselves into it. And I mean, you know, as, as we well know, or we will well talk about, it killed many of them. It's killed a lot of people, but I mean, the Von Erics particularly. Yeah, and and speaking of 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 real uh, being real and all that, uh, you know, I I dub the movie as as the year's most honest film. Now, not honest in its accuracy of events. I mean, yes, the movie the movie itself. I mean, if we're getting into spoilers, I mean, omits one brother entirely. Right. Also, denies the existence that you know the Von Erichs had sister uh, daughters. Sorry, daughters were in the family before uh, the brothers ever entered the picture, but. Other than that, no one really goes into a movie for getting a history lesson for historical accuracy. And and Ridley Scott, I believe, will attest to that as well with his <laughs> Napoleon. But um, what I mean in terms of honesty is it's the emotions it it conjures and the emotions it aims for, the arcs that it tries to establish, they all work very well and they're earned. Uh, and I think that's that's the power that it has. And it does some things in the film that any other film would do what you think would be gimmicky you would think it'd be mawkish but in here it kind of works and particularly in a late sequence kind of a afterlife sequence where the brothers all meet with each other yeah. and they and they they you know embrace each other after they've entered sort of the afterlife after the grueling life of and expectations and pressure and and, fam and fam familial obligation they embrace each other in the afterlife and uh that any other movie that would be very mawkish but here it completely works that moment almost took me right out of the film. Actually, I remember watching it and going, okay, uh, all right. Yeah, I, I see what we're going. We're going for a bit a bit too much here. It's going to be hokey. And dang it, doesn't he stick it? He sticks the landing. And I, at the end of that scene, I sat there and I went, I can't believe I actually feel like that was one of the more powerful moments in the film was this final moment that could have gone, you know, schmaltzy, if you will, or like too hokey. And, and it just drives home the, the point of the film in, in so many ways. I, I love that you call it honest because it, it, it really feels raw, no pun intended. Um, it just, it just is like the, this isn't about, okay. So it, it's not, no holds barred and i don't even know if you two remember this movie but in the mid dave smiling in the mid 1980s probably you probably never even heard of this movie no holds barred have you heard of this film i've not heard of this one no. oh my god oh, you're gonna look it up oh you're gonna look it up after this no holds barred was a hulk hogan movie and it was, oh, okay it was hulk hogan versus zeus and it was basically rocky in a wrestling ring and then the WWE actually did the feud in the ring with the two guys. Like it was just nonsense. It is bad. It is a bad film. Um, but this is not a film. This is a film that takes place in, <laughs> but it's, it's so grounded and it's so grounded about the people and it's, and it's this tension between real and what's not real caught between those two things uh like i love watching that scene where they're they're trying to do the promo and he just can't get it right and they just keep doing it over again you know yeah. like oh it's like 
for anybody who's watched pro wrestling and is having a bit of a moment again right now, um, like we just see the end product. We just see that, you know, that, that I'm going to come out on Saturday and I'm going to, I'm going to get you, but this is sort of like, okay, can we do that again? All right, let's go back. All right. You know, you get to, you get to, it's, they're not characters, they're people. And it's such a beautiful way to film, to film. Yeah. And, 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 the effect of, of that moment is, is to show that each brother had their own merit, right? Their own flair that they brought to it, right? Where as David, uh, played by Harris Dickinson, he was the one who had the kind of showmanship quality to him, right? And he's the one who, because of that, uh, in the film, kind of reached a higher status before the other brothers, right? Whereas Kevin, he was the one who was built really well and, and wrestled really well, but didn't really have that type of um, showmanship quality to him. He was more of a, uh, really at the heart of himself, was very um, a quiet, kind of subdued person, was very gentle, a gentle person outside, of, uh, inside, but very masculine and very brawny looking on the outside, right? That's why he didn't have that kind of showmanship quality. And so what I really like about uh, what Durkin does with the script here is he renders um, one brother's uh, success, you know, the other's failure. He renders tragedy and triumph uh, uh, really become inextricable, uh, such just as inextricable as the bond that these brothers have. So I think that's really the heart of the film. I think it does really well. It's how it links tragedy and triumph, uh, and also one brother's success, meaning the other's failure. Uh, and that kind of pressure kind of mounts, comes to a boil, and then you see it come, um, you know, simmer out in really, really heartbreaking ways. Uh, and I think that's that's the real heart to the film. And, and I think I was telling you this when we saw, when we walked outside the screening as well, I was gushing about it with you. Uh, um, but it's really, it's not, it's not a wrestling movie. It's not a wrestling movie at all. And Dave is saying it doesn't really give the sport reverence. It's not a wrestling movie at all. I feel it's, it's a drama, a family drama that just happens to have wrestling on the side. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. So um, that that's, that's what I think the movie does really well. It's and not a movie think, for wrestling fans. As it exactly. No. And that's why it's caught on so much. I don't know if you guys saw this, but I think Adele at a concert was like yelling that Iron Claw was her favorite movie of the year. I think this famous tennis player also said after a match, I got to see Iron Claw. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's caught on in that way because it's not really about wrestling. Wrestling is just the medium it uses to tell its very um, relatable, uh, heartbreaking story. That That's the power of it, really. Well, and I mean, just it's amazing how we get so caught up and invested in stories of family and in the story of these brothers and how they were intertwined with one another and just seeing their lives unfold. I mean, even with certain sort of the surprises that, uh, you know, like even Steve, you didn't know, like, I mean, I remember at the end of that screening, you're like, Dave, did you know Carrie didn't have a foot? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you didn't, you know? I had no idea. I know. I used to watch him. I'm pretty sure I've seen him. I saw him live because I used to watch during those days. I didn't not, I didn't know. Uh, well, they, the other ones didn't make it to WWE, but I remember watching the Texas tornado carry Von Eric. And I remember thinking that he walked to, as a child, I remember thinking like he walks kind of strangely, but you know, on his way to the ring, he sort of has a bit of a bit of a hop, but sure, whatever. I had no idea he had one foot and no clue. Like that's an that's incredible honestly because I, I i had no idea no idea he would move that guy put in the work he would fly around that ring and, and it speaks to the, the the dedication 
of the brothers, not only to each other, but to this world that they felt they, I mean, almost that they owed a debt to, if that's maybe the right way to put it, just based on how their father raised them and sort of built them up to sort of be involved in this business. It was, I mean, it was tragic, but it was fascinating to see all at the same time. I mean, the character of Fritz, I mean, played by uh, Holt McKinney, I mean, he does such a fantastic job of playing this archetypal father figure who you're sympathetic towards, but you know he's a bastard all at the same time. It's like, it was such a, this movie has so many, is working on so many different character levels because there isn't good guys and bad guys. There isn't sort of, you know, somebody to root for or somebody to root against. But you see this, these multiple levels of humanity coming out through these characters. And I mean, it's sad and it's tragic, but I mean, it's also gorgeous and it's really a, a masterclass that speaks to what Durkin did with this story. And I mean, it's, it's, it's really amazing. And I mean, I remember, I mean, some of us got to talk to Durkin. I mean, I even asked him, it's like, why the brothers? Because I mean, there was even particularly that era of wrestling there were colorful characters. There was tragedy. There was a lot of bad stuff that went on. But he even said it was the dynamic of the brothers and the dynamic of the family that kind of drew him in. And I mean, that's what he so beautifully portrayed here in this film. You know, I want to I want to talk a little bit about this for a minute because about the the reality of wrestling, because we're talking this. You're absolutely right. Like this is a family drama i was gonna say it's a family film that might communicate the wrong message that's this a stretch a, but yeah it's not air bud um it's you know it's a family drama um but but even in these characters like the the idea of pro wrestling for them you know like you said dave this is this is church to them this is this they they are devoted to it and even the there's that incredible scene with Lily, uh, Lily James, and um, uh, uh, Zach Efron, who is amazing in this. Zach Efron is incredible. And as they're talking about wrestling, she's like, "What? Well, isn't it fake?" And he said, "Oh, it's not fake. It is not fake." And and I mean, I know that to varying degrees, you've both watched pro wrestling some of some you know maybe more than others but what is the power of pro wrestling and is it is it fake to you our movies fake our television is television fake is is live theater fake it's just another form of storytelling that people get invested in and bring themselves into to to find entertainment and distraction in you know their varying degrees of mundane lives i mean it's i almost equate pro wrestling to uh the traveling players in sort of the old shakespeare days who would be have their their wagon and their buggy going from town to town telling different stories and then circling back again it is it is a very pure form of storytelling at the end of the day. As much as we can mock it and laugh about it or, you know, with various things that have gone on, you know, things we even talked about before we went on recording that, you know, we would remember from back in the day, 
when it all comes down to it, it's it's about character and it's about getting invested in those characters. And I mean, I think that's really what the draw of it is at the end of the day. And I mean, why it's having such a a boom boom now is, I mean, at least from my perspective, is especially in this day and age of reality TV and TikTok and this that and everything. Like, we're still craving stories. And we're still craving character. And this is one of those forms of entertainment that every week there's going to be something new. 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year. There's never going to be a rerun. There's never going to be a repeat. Something's always going to evolve. You can walk away from it. You can pick it up again later on. But it's never something that's going to stay stagnant. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the big things that is drawing people in. It is a form of entertainment that is constantly in motion. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think I'm an interesting case with this movie. I'm not as well-versed, I think, as you two in the world of wrestling. Um, I'm not really caught up in it it at all. Um, You know, I'm not as, as as big as a fan, but I think it goes back to your question that you're saying, whether or not it goes back to, I think the statement I made earlier, it's the year's most honest film. It is, it's, there's honesty in what it's portraying, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter the medium that it uses, the the emotion that it has, it's honest. And whether you're, you're the most avid wrestling watcher or not, um, what really gets you is yes, the the character that it, it brings you with, the, the kind of humanity uh, in which you see yourself uh, within these characters, right? And I just want to touch on, I think, the ensemble does a really good job in, in capturing that type of that humanity, right? And I really want to, I think, don't think we touched on Efron enough. I think Efron really, 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 I think, shines at this film. I think it's his best performance ever, uh, I think, that he's ever brought to the film. I'm sorry, High School Musical. I'm sorry. But it's, it's <laughs> it, it, right, it's, it's, it's the Iron Claw, right? Um, and I just, I think really what's great about his performance is he kind of really taps into the kind of psyche of a of a man who who's forced to not see who's who's consistently forced to be outshined by his brothers but the greater indignity is watching them helplessly destroy themselves it's not that they get higher than him it's it's watching them helplessly you know ruin themselves in the process and he kind of imbues that kind of tragedy with really a rare a type of nuance that his career really really isn't known for at all. I mean, his, his performances really um, rely on one one aspect, one type of, of gimmick. Where here, I, I mean, it's it's really ladles it with with subtext and, and texture, and um, you really see a multifaceted person. And Efron really brings him uh, brings him to life. But if it's for my money, I really think it's it's Dickinson who. Uh, who really brings forward my favorite performance, the type of inner turmoil he has in his eyes where he's forced to just really experience everything by himself, the highs, the lows, and he gets to a point where he just has to shelter the worst of it on himself without telling anybody what he's really going like inside. And I, I really, really enjoy that. And, and kudos also goes to, I'm going to kick myself for forgetting the actor's name, but who played the youngest brother. I'm not sure if you guys remember the, the actor's name. Who played the the youngest brother? Uh, I'm looking it up. Um, trying to see here. 
Mike, Stanley Simons. Yeah, Stanley Mike, Simons. Yeah. Stanley, yeah. Simons, Stanley yeah. Simons, who plays Mike. I think he also really, really uh, uh, brings in a great performance as well. Um, and I also have to shout out Lily James. I mean, she really could have been trapped and kind of being that supportive wife trope, but, you know, by, especially as her character has those sweet, caring sensibilities added on to her. But she kind of fosters a character that holds her spouse accountable at each turn. She doesn't make it easy uh, for, for Efron's Kevin at all. Um, and, you know, blames him, really holds him accountable for putting the distance between them um, when he goes, tries to focus more on the wrestling side of his family side and kind of embraces the, the, the Von Eric curse, right? So I think the ensemble goes a long way. Uh, and then, like you were saying, just the, the cinematography, the real filmmaking of it, Dave, that, that uh, Durkin and company really bring to it, the slow cascading camera work, it kind of slowly brings you into the squared circle uh, and, and, and really lets you feel every punch, every wallop, right? And, and based on the tone that the film really has, every punch that you feel doesn't ring with, with kind of spectacle and it, it's there, but really rings with kind of this pathos, this really deep-seated pathos, every punch that hits. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, really, really well done. It's a technical feast, really. And um, yeah, from, from the visuals to the performances really is locked in on kind of the, the story it wants to tell. So I think really succeeds on really every front. I mean, you know, just to, to dovetail back on your point about Zach, it's amazing to me in watching him do this performance and in many ways, and bear with me on the point I'm about to make, I almost compare him in a certain way to somebody like Tom Cruise. Is he the best actor in the world? No. I mean, when we see a Benedict Cumberbatch or a, even somebody in this film like a Harris Stickinson on screen, the work they put in is effortless. But Zach, you can see the work that he's putting in. You can see him getting better. And I mean, I think that's another aspect of this film that has really drawn people in that you can see Zach working his ass off. And I mean, there is an appreciation for that as well. I mean, especially with people like us who have, you know, see far too many movies. <laughs> like we know he's putting in the work. You know, I, I think you're both absolutely right. I, I want to merge your two answers together because uh, I think that both that both things, uh, both of your comments here tap into the joy of this film and pro wrestling at the same time. I'm going to go back to pro wrestling because obviously I'm a fan. You know, I was excited about this film, but this... I was excited about this film. I, I, I was not prepared for what I was going to get. But here, bear, I, I want to circle back to what you said, Dave. Seth Rollins, uh, who's in WWE, uh, recently compared what they do to a traveling circus. And yeah. he was okay with it. He said, yeah. we roll into a town, we do our shtick, and we move on out. And yeah. that's what we do. Um, you know, they're creating eight hours of live television every single week or seven hours of live television every single week. Right and I mean, that's not even including sort of the behind the scenes stuff and then the, the PLEs and all that other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's why the Netflix deal went down just because it was, it's such a, it's, it's turnkey content. Yeah. And it's always fresh. Absolutely. Absolutely. But part of the power, I think of pro wrestling, even though it is scripted is when you feel like they are being real yes so what you were saying prob about you know the family drama 
people people know it's a show people know it's a show but there are there are things that they'll drop in and there's emotion in their performances uh that actually blur the lines sometimes um for for wrestling fans out there i'm gonna get a little wrestling here for a second the return of cm punk to the wwe was a big deal and for days after this came out people were analyzing the reactions of the wrestlers in the ring because there was such controversy after he left these there were real problems backstage like between the the human people and everybody knew it so we live in an age where we are looking for stories all the time. Like you said, uh, TikTok is, is stories. TikTok yeah. stories. Um, they're shorter. You know, YouTube is stories. Like and smash that subscribe button uh, <laughs> for more stories. No. Um, but we're always looking for stories. Absolutely. And, and when those lines are blurred, they're between story and reality um i think it, it makes it more powerful because we know they're real people we know they're real people this story isn't about wrestling because it's about four brothers but these four brothers their job is wrestling so when when the dad talks about uh you know carrie's my favorite then kev then da then david then mike but the rankings can always change you know you laugh but you also go wait a second uh when they're in the ring and the dad grabs the mic and says that you know, I think it, he says, I think it's David is going to be the next, the next yeah. champion. The reason it lands is because Kevin has gone through all this stuff saying that it's like a job promotion. When you're good at your job, you know, when you're good at your job, then you, people honor that. And that's why they give you belts and stuff like this. It's not about, it's, it's there's a reality it's playing out in that moment that's it's not about the belt the 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 boys are shocked yeah because it's it's upsetting to the family dynamic and and that is so much more interesting than people pretending to be any character and i don't mean that just for wrestling i mean for for anything when you know that it means something to those people you can tell the difference uh it, it's it, i think you're uh, probably you're absolutely right the performances in this are incredible just across the board incredible um is it harris dickinson am i right or is it harry dickinson yeah harris, yeah. harris dickinson uh, it's just unbelievable just incredible they're all great and and yes zach efron i mean um i mean this might be better than his performance in 17 again um no it, this is absolutely incredible work I point uh, uh yeah I was, I was just saying the only thing that the, the performances i thought uh they're all great but i just feel for jeremy allen white i mean can he get a stable family ever in any of the films he works <laughs> he does i mean um yeah like he continues his you know the work he started in the bear um you know epitomizing someone who's deeply conflicted uh you know and and with that that weathered visage that the iconic weathered visage that that uh that he that he he arms himself with his performances it's, it's really captivating and i mean you could say he's being tight fast but it's only two two works right so um but he does it really well yeah uh but yeah hopefully jeremy allen white please get a stable family next time please <laughs> You know what's going to happen. You know he's going to be cast as like Dr. Doom or something like that now. It's like, 
the Marvel jump is is almost there. Uh, you know, or the thing. He'll be the thing and higher and and covered with prosthetics. Um, let, let's go. Let's go into the family drama for a minute here. I, I would love to hear from you both about um, one of the things that's stated. They talk about how. You know, I want to make sure I get this quote right. Hold, hold on here. I have it here. Um, Dad tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing could ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. The film opens with this this line. Um, what are your thoughts on that in relation to these characters and in, in this film? Like, what what do you do? You think that's true? Um, in general, do you think it worked for them? What What do you think? Yes and no, because this was a line from someone who was ultimately a failure, not a failure, but did not achieve the success that he wished to in a business that he wanted to. And ultimately, he put his own failings and projected them onto his kids and then had that all play out as one would succeed and one wouldn't. This was such a fascinating portrait of flawed parenting in many ways. I mean, even sort of when we're establishing everything with the boys and early on, it's like, oh, mom, can you go talk to so-and-so? It's like, oh, no, no, it's between you brothers. There was something in the dynamic of that family where the boys were on their own versus the father. They, loved, they all loved each other, but it, it wasn't sort of the atypical healthy relationship that it probably should have been. This was a situation where the father was projecting his own perceived failures onto his kids. You know, the business didn't let me be NWA champion, but you're going to be NWA champion. You're gonna show them that we're we Von Eric, we're the Von Erics, damn it, and blah blah blah. It's it was all about Fritz projecting his insecurities onto the boys, and the only one it didn't kill was obviously uh, uh, Zach, you know, as uh, as uh, I'm uh, Kevin, you know, because again, it was one of those things where. As good as Kevin Von Eric was, again, I mean, it's like you said, Prab, he, uh, he was not the flashy brother. He was not the most talented or the most outgoing or the this or that. He was not the one who was the best designed to succeed in professional wrestling. And that's probably ultimately what saved his life. Yeah, and um, like that quote, uh, going along the lines of what you said as well, and that quote, right, the biggest, the strongest the best right uh yeah in body but uh their father didn't prepare them for the mind that's that's the that's the part that that, that failed them um and um and had not having that support you know you can be the strongest person ever you know the bridge can be made of the strongest material ever but if the thing supporting it isn't there isn't isn't strong enough it's going to crumble and i think that's what you see systematically throughout the film and i think that's what derb gherkin is more interested in right he's more interested in the toxic patterns of familiar trauma how they batter a person uh into a shell of themselves rather and the, than and really... the failures of toxic masculinity mm -hmm. 
And exactly. This, this, yeah. is, this is the prototypical example of why toxic masculinity destroys. Yeah, and like I was saying, like, yeah, he's not interested in the uh, the high-flying exploits of these daredevil brawlers, right? He's interested in the toxic patterns of familiar trauma that can break people who who entertain us, who, who practically do the impossible, like you said, 52 weeks a year, uh, how it it's not the broken bones that batter them, but the the lack of support, the emotions that that really destroy them. And the brothers who were still united in the face of all that as well. The brothers who would support themselves in the face of their father, who they could never match or live up to the expectations that were put on them. Mm. It's a family story. It's a story of brothers. It's, it's, it's a tragic and sad, but it's so gorgeously executed that I mean, I honestly can't wait to see it again. Yeah, and, and really, it's emblematic. You know, when one part of the vine begins to rot, it, it spreads to all everyone. Yeah, and even yeah. though, and and I, you know, we said we're going to do spoilers, and I think it all culminates really <laughs> from one brother going to to the other brother, and when we're left with Zach, that final line he says, "I used to be a brother." That's why it hits with such with such profundity at the end. Um, and it makes you really look at yourself, the relationships you have with your siblings. I mean, at that moment, I just thought about like, I couldn't imagine, you know, being without my sisters uh, and, and you know, the support that we give each other. It, it's, you know, his brothers and the memory of them will live on, but, you know, he's going to lack that that type of support in his life uh, because of of the the toxic, the, the unreachable goals their father set on them. Yeah, and it's it's really portrayed in really a subtle, earned way, and I think that's that's why I keep going back to that that name. It's the year's most honest film in emotion and theme. He wanted to be the best brother he could be, not necessarily the best wrestler he could be. Whereas mm -hmm. the brothers were more rolled into the hype of the system than Kevin was, and it's 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 such a sad story. And I mean, like we've said before. The, the historical accuracy of things that happen in this movie is not 100%, but the spirit and sort of the tragedy of it all is is 110%. It's it's so bang on in just sort of the, the, the tragic emotional failure of uh, familial support and how as much as the brothers tried to, to lift each other up, they were not in a situation where they were going to succeed. Yeah, and and, and yeah, and just to touch on that note, that the whole tragedy. I, I I view this movie really. If people, I really hope when people talk about this movie, it's not in through the lens of a wrestling movie. But hey, what's a great American tragedy? And you think yeah. of yeah, right, and you want to think of the Iron Claw, yeah. right? Uh, and that's that's what I hope it goes down as. And I, I really believe it's as time will pass, it's going to be seen as really really necessary essential work in like the canon of American tragedies, right? It, it, it's a testament to a film that, you know, in its utter heartbreak and its calamity that it shows reminds us to cherish the bonds that really, really matter. Uh, and it, it, I think that's the real power of the film and real, real key to its staying power for sure. And that's why it's resonated with everyone. I mean, who would have thought, like I said, Adele would champion this movie, you know? <laughs> so. And I mean, I love that you brought up just, just defining it as an American tragedy. And I mean, mm -hmm. it just going, even going back to what we were referencing before of, you know, uh, the, 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 the circus coming to town and the traveling players going in and out. 
like that's the definition of America in many ways. Like when we think of tragedies in, in other forms of storytelling and entertainment, we think of it along uh, more of the Shakespearean kind of variety of you know royalty and kings and queens and that kind of thing. But when it comes down to the American experience, these were the kings and queens. And there is such a unique parallel there as well, just to see how these people on top can can be so alone and fall in the ways that they do. And I mean, this again, like, I mean, we, we're repeating ourselves, but this is such a gorgeous but accurate depiction of tragedy and just letting the people down around you that you shouldn't be. So, yeah. so it's confirmed we have Death of a Salesman, and then now we have Iron Claw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's a great comparison. I would not have made it, but it's a great <laughs> one. That's not hyperbole. I mean, that's fairly accurate. When you hit, you hit Rips lower, around, hit hard. Death of a Salesman, Iron Claw, you know? It really, and then, yeah, you put Killers of the Flower Moon in there. You got a great three-piece right there. Oh, man. Man. So it's, it's also a very depressing three-piece right there, but no, it's... Yeah, I mean, this is, this is, I mean, I can't even say it any better myself. Like, this is incredible. Like, they drink the Kool-Aid because their dad tells them this is the way the world works. And life does not work that way. You can't, like, they're, they're trying, he's telling them, you know, if you just tough it out, right? Like, this is toxicity at its most basic. Um, Tough out everything. Steve, acknowledge me. Acknowledge <laughs> me, Steve. You know, again, you make me do that every time we're on this thing. I mean, every no, time. but you know what? I, but you see what I'm saying, though. It's like oh, it's, it's right. There are so many parallels. Yeah, yeah, and and this is this. I mean, this is uh, a father who's telling his kids, you know, the way to the way to survive is just by is just by fighting through it. But Prob, I love what you said about the bridge like that's incredible if the if the the supports underneath it are not strong then it's not going to survive it doesn't matter how much how much how hard it is on the outside and this is what we see this is the fall of the in many ways it's there's the fall of the american dream here no pun intended on that one um but you have you have them uh, being told that they need to succeed but all they want to do is be together um and and that to them is success but they're being fed this thing saying no that's not enough you need to be the champ i i don't know like dave i think it was you that said the others are more into the system i'm not sure any of them are into the system other than kevin I think they're all into it because their dad tells them they should be. Like it seems but like no, that's just it. Just yeah, fighting. yeah. But like, I mean, the system being their dad, not necessarily uh, oh, okay. professional wrestling. Yeah, because like Carrie's, you know, after Carrie's uh, doesn't work out. Carrie doesn't work out in in football. I think he's trying for football. His dad. No, I think it was. It's time. It was the Olympics. It was the Olympics. Oh, the, Olympics. the Olympics. The Olympics. And and his dad goes, "It's time now. You will join us." And he's like, "Okay." Yeah. It's, like, and it's, it's like yeah and it's also upsetting that uh the boycott happened right the nice city Olympics, oh, yeah. and then that that's you know the dominoes keep falling right i mean if he made if he if the if the 
the dominoes didn't fall the way they did, maybe you would have never been in that position. But who would have thought going back to your family would lead to your your demise? When it's supposed to be a place of comfort and, and security, it, it led to his, his demise, slowly but surely. But, but oh, yeah, this is the heartbreaking thing to me about this film, is that, you know, if going back to your family is what lead, leads to your demise, <laughs> it's really coming from one corner of the family. Like the brothers are trying to elevate one another. And this is the toxicity embedded within uh, Fritz's character, which is just eating away at the roots of everybody else. Just, uh, it's it's so hard to watch in moments. Those are actually some of the harder moments to watch uh, than, than their personal tragedies because you can see where it's rooted. Um. And I mean, it, it also speaks to how Carrie ultimately killed himself. Mm. Because I mean, if you're angry or you're this or you're that, like he killed himself, but he, he couldn't bring himself to sort of bring the violence of that onto his family. Like he didn't shoot himself in the head. It's very uncharacteristic for a man to shoot himself in the chest. And that's what Carrie did. Because it was one of those things where as much as he needed to be done with it and like be free of it, he still could not bring himself to, he had to do it in the quietest way possible Mm. to to still respect his family. I mean, and I think that's what was the saddest thing of all. Mm. He was so broken that he just had to, he just had to be done with it. He wasn't angry at anybody. He just, he, he just, it had to be over. Mm. Like it really is a portrait of, and I mean, Jeremy Allen White does it so well, but just seeing somebody who's given up on everything. And really it's, it's typically in, in a, uh, in a familiar story, it would, <laughs> the constant battling and bruising of the sport that would kind of bring someone to that position, but it's not, it's the emotional batterment. It's the, it's the constant unapproval that you get from someone that you, you basically die uh, trying to live up to. And that's what, what seals the coffin for you. Right? Uh, and that's, that's the heartbreaking aspect of it. Uh, men who like in every way lived up to the image sculpted, like basically like, people out of gods out of the greek pantheon but um it's the inside that that really led to their demise and uh like again i can't can't say enough durkin does an impeccable job in kind of reiterating that and showing that uh um through uh his cinematography and filmmaking that really renders that really renders it palpable absolutely I mean, even when you look at the way the other brothers died like all of these brothers died in one different way or another by essentially sucking it up. You know, there wasn't a dealing with it. They sucked it up and it killed them. Yeah. You know, either be via drugs or via just the abuse of the industry or just, you know, quietly, you know, fading away like Gary did. And I mean, it's, it, it, it like, it, it very much is a family curse, but I mean, it's one of its, I'm so glad they told the story, but at the same time, it's one of those things that 
especially I think in this world of pro professional wrestling, it's going to be hard for that kind of thing to happen again. But at the same time, we, we still see a lot of these stories in professional football, in, in professional sports. I mean, with especially sort of in the early 2000s, when people didn't understand uh, CTE and the issues around the concussions and, and what it can do to these athletes psychologically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and since we're Canadian, it reminds me of uh, Wayne Gretzky. I think he was, uh, when he was dealing with that stuff in the 80s, I mean, you would have trainers and family members saying, oh, just sweat it off, put a sauna and just sweat it off and it'll, it'll wear off. And uh, and that's essentially what, um, you know, their father is doing is, is just sweat it off, weather it, and then uh, until they reach a breaking point. And, and, and that breaking point, again, is not physical, but it's one that's mental. And, and they, they, like I said, they crack. The, the foundation is never sturdy enough to hold kind of the, uh, the image that they hold of themselves and of their father. Um, yeah, it, it's just, again, really, really powerfully made film that, um, you know, uh, across its runtime has a really tangible undercurrent of sadness that at every turn is, is earned. It's never sad. It's never prized on our emotions. It never manipulates us. It, it takes us really in a subdued approach, showing us how um, that sadness really kind of permeates these characters uh, and, and becomes their undoing. And, I mean, and that's why it gets summed up so tragically in Carrie, because, I mean, yeah, the youngest son died electrocuting himself. Uh, you know, David uh, was apparently a drug overdose. Uh, the younger one, Mike, uh, it was the business that killed him, just toxic shock and just not being able to physically go through the abuse of the industry. It had culminated in Carrie, who just never, he just couldn't deal with it. Yeah. And, and I mean, we've seen this play out in, like you said, in so many different ways, pro sports or what have you. Um, even, even down to things like, I know it's, I know it's a different scenario, but something like happens with Owen, uh, Owen Hart, when Owen Hart died with, in WWE and what a tragedy that was, but the, the family aspect as well, how it ripped them apart in so many ways. Now, again, that was again, different. It wasn't by choice, but these are real people suffering very real mental illnesses, very real struggles, very real physical effects um, day by day, you know, because they're putting themselves on the line and bringing their family drama with them to work as you oh, as we do as we do um but i think we even, lose even in popular entertainment like film and yeah. television i mean how many stories have we heard of you know so and so actor who had big hit show back in the day you know ultimately kills himself because you know nothing was going on i mean robin williams uh, ellen's dj twitch yeah the show ends He's just doing other stuff and you know, he was dealing with mental illness and he killed himself. Yeah. And and that's the interesting thing about celebrity on any level is we can lose the humanity. Yeah. Because we've we feel like we own their picture. We know who they are. But 
we don't we don't we lose their humanity for the sight of their character um and it, and it's i mean it's it's a fascinating and terrifying thing to see hear these stories of people who are losing themselves when the camera's not on and uh again i think it goes back to uh what we touched on it it's that's why I think it, it it lends itself more to the canon of American tragedies rather than a wrestling movie. Because no, totally, hundred percent, yeah. It's a story that you know manifests in countless families across the world, and even in North America, countless families from generation to generation. And again, maybe that's what is the Von Erich curse. It's it's that mm-hmm. inability, uh, you know, to understand how you're damaging, how you're eating a family from the inside out. Uh, and how it goes on from generation to generation to generation. Uh, and so I think that's, again, what really uh, is key to the film staying power and, and what makes it resonate with with audiences versed in wrestling or not versed in it. And I mean, even to spin it back to the Oscars about like how we were talking before of, you know, this person got snubbed and this person got snubbed and sort of the vitriol and how people get worked up over it on uh online on whatever social media platform you're using i refuse to call twitter x i'm calling it twix from now on just just i want to keep that trending but it's one of those things where it's like if we're dealing with people who are well adjusted enough the work you know everyone wants to be recognized everyone wants to be appreciated for what they do and i mean sometimes you just put your foot down and stand up for yourself and do those sort of things but at the end of the day, the well-adjusted people are, are fine enough when the lights go off, when the celebrity is not there. I mean, you know, I'm sure William Defoe would have loved to have been nominated for an Oscar for poor things, but I'm sure he's also happy to be able to just go straight to the party and not have to yeah. sit in the ceremony if he doesn't want to. You know what I mean? Yeah, but now, but now I'm still going to be mad that Iron Claw didn't get nominated. <laughs> That's why I'm still I'm still going to be mad about that now. Um, and Zac Efron gets to go straight to the Vanity Fair party. He doesn't have to yeah. sit through the awards. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why this film, um, even though we're gushing about it and the whole world's gushing about it, I think part of the reason why it didn't get nominated is I just, again, it's not a, the Academy is not a full meritocracy. It's about campaigning. And even if you look at a 24 slot of films, I mean, they even struggle to get past lives the recognition. If you look at past lives, only two nominations, the only big movie that they got was zone of interest. And that's really is because a lot of critics uh, groups are championing it. Right. Um, and, you know, I guess the release date of uh, Iron Claw and then just where it fell into the awards kind of, madness really just allowed it to get overshadowed but you also have to look at uh, just sort of the realities of the micro studio versus like of an a24 versus the netflixes or the warner brothers or the paramounts or the you know it's it's a different beast and it's just not the same kind of game and i mean as much as i love something like a past lives and would have wanted her to be nominated then again acting and directing nominations sort of the screenplay slot for a movie like that is what you expect. And I mean, that's the award in and of itself. And maybe she wins, maybe she doesn't, but it's again, I mean, it even goes back to sort of what I said at the top of just, let's stop focusing on the snub. Let's stop focusing on what should have been or what we should have perceived should have been. Let's 
let's appreciate the great that we're having in a film like Iron Claw, and even with the Von Erich family themselves, it's like let's not, uh, you know, focus on the sad way Carrie Von Erich, you know, killed himself, but let's focus on you know how awesome the Texas tornado was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, gentlemen. I, I, we got to wrap this up um, unless if there's something else I, I, I want to keep going. Um, but we we've hit our time. If there's something you want to talk about, it's your show. I mean, I know it's my show. Run as long as you want. <laughs> I guess that's true. All right. Sit back everybody. It, no. <laughs> as we get ready for that's, hour two. That's right. Um, Iron claw two, the iron yeah. claw. Oh no. no the no the bronze claw the bronze claw <laughs> <laughs> we're moving up we're moving up yeah yeah for sure no. um but yeah I mean uh, Iron Claw again I'll reiterate again it's the most years most honest film uh not in terms of its historical accuracy but in the emotions it conjures in its audience and I I think you know despite it being overshadowed and we can be mad about it it's one that's going to stay with us for a while uh and again you know. Uh, it's it's the reason why these these actors are gonna have a big uh, big role in, in years to come and, and kind of stay in the zeitgeist um it's i think a big reason why you know jeremy on whites in our calvin klein underwear ads and uh you know we're gonna keep uh keep thinking about it for years and years for sure and also this isn't the movie that people are gonna forget this is gonna be one of those movies where people are gonna talk to each other it's like hey did you see the iron claw no what's the iron claw oh you should really see the iron claw and it's gonna be one of those movies where the lore and the audience and the appreciation of it will only grow over time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can't wait to show my parents this and see them cry. Can't wait. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that already, we, we, anybody who would ask, we already know we've tipped our hand, but I mean, skip iron, it. It's crap. No, screen, it's just... Yeah. Iron claw, screen it or skip it. <laughs> uh, duh. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's an unequivocal screen it yeah it, it uh, and really screen is. it on the big screen because i mean you need to see those uh like you said those shots of of, of the squared circle and how it just kind of gets you in that mindset it's really a film that you know typically you would think you could watch it at home but i think the big screen really does a service to it and kids screen everything on the big screen really i mean as much as there are movies that will play on the small screen and whatnot there is nothing like the shared experience of being in a darkened movie house and being told a story. So please, no matter what you're watching this weekend or wherever you are, screen it on the big screen. Go to the cinema, do it properly. Cry together, for sure. Iron Claw, cry together. That should just be the tagline of the film. I mean, absolutely, it's unequivocal screening. I mean, we've been gushing about this since we started. Rightfully so. It's an incredible film. Um, gentlemen, I have loved this conversation. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your time. Let's, uh, but uh, sell your wares. Uh, how can people follow you? Find your stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I write for a bunch of publications, including Exclaim, But Why Though, uh, Our Culture Magazine, Hollywood Handle. Um, and yeah, you can find me at app. Uh, my name, Rob Joe Bands 96 on Twitter, Instagram, uh, wherever you, your social media. And I'll be 
posting my movie takes and reviews and you can disagree with me all you want and I don't care. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, David? Well, as always, my name is Dave Boyd and I'm the editor and publisher over at In the Seats, in the seats.ca for all the latest and greatest from the world of the film, television, basically the moving image at large, but also I am the host and producer with my dulcet tones of In the Seats With, where I sit down with a wide ranging variety variety of entertainment industry professionals and I pick their brain about current projects, state of the industry, how they got started, and so very much more in a light and in a conversational fashion, which is available on podcast services everywhere as, as well as YouTube. So as we were saying before, hit that like, hit that subscribe, ding that bell, do everything you got to do. Uh, this week we've been talking to a lot of the cast of uh, Special Ops Lioness, which is out on Blu-ray now, and that was a lot of fun. And there's more and more stuff to come because we're all a little sick in the head in this business, but we love it, love it so. So please support us as best you can. Um, that should be our tagline. Okay. <laughs> the, the film critic business. We're sick in the head. It works. It's tight. I uh, appreciate, appreciate you both so much. This has been so much fun. And as always, a reminder, you can find us wherever podcasts are available. Um, and of course, you can like and subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, as well, where we also have great interviews with industry professionals, plus Screenfish Radio, which are awesome conversations just like these. Um, if you go to the podcast page on screenfish.net, you can download Fishing for More, which are some small group questions help you get the conversation started where you are. Um, and I, I so grateful for you both. Thank you so much, guys, for being on. And for you at home, we started the conversation. This was Screenfish. <laughs>